We are going now to the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Philippians chapter one. We will start in verse one in just a minute. We're in a teaching series called Follow Through Ancient Pathways. And we are talking about the ways in which we follow Jesus and he transforms and changes us, makes us whole and more like himself. Last week, Pastor Bo talked about the way of blessing. This week, we're gonna zoom in on one particular blessing. There's this common blessing throughout the New Testament. Again and again, when you read Paul's letters, these, these words come right in the beginning. It's this, grace and peace. We're gonna look at these two ideas and understand that they're more than just a greeting. Paul is not just saying grace and peace because you just do that when you write a letter. He's infusing the church with this idea that should permeate their very being, their life, and should be the way in which they walk and move and live. Now, grace and peace, what is it? It's really hard to define grace and peace because these are massive concepts. So I wanna give you a story to give you a picture. Right, so I'm a dad of four girls. Girl dad, anyone with me? Come on. I love being a girl dad, it's amazing. Now my oldest is eight going on 18, if you know what I'm talking about. And um, she's amazing. When we had just one kid though, and we were much more high strung about everything, because that's how it goes when you just have one, at least that was the story for us. Um, we were going through this big season where we were moving her from her crib to her big girl bed. Now, this, again, was a big deal for our family, and we're moving her to this twin bed. We put her to bed the first night, and I am completely nervous, completely nervous that she's gonna roll out of the bed, fall onto the ground, because, you know, it's about that far from the ground. And so I don't really know what to do, but this thought pops into my head. As soon as she falls asleep, I'm gonna take the comforter, and I'm gonna pull it underneath the mattress and tuck it in and create this little cocoon for her, right? Well, you know, the goal here is that she sleeps through the night so that I can sleep through the night. Anyone with me? So we put her into bed, three o'clock in the morning, the shrill scream, Daddy! Which is like, you never want to wake up in the middle of the night with that coming. So, you know, I don't know what's going on in our house. I don't know if somebody's like broken into the house and is trying to steal her or she had a bad dream or maybe she fell the whole like foot out of the bed. And so, you know, I throw the comforter off and I rush the 10 steps across my house, fling the door open. And what is in front of me is one of the funniest sights I will ever see. I will never forget. Remember the cocoon I created for her? Yeah, so somehow in the middle of the night, she scooted herself all the way down to the very bottom of that cocoon and got stuck. <laughs> and so all I can see is her screaming daddy and punching and trying to get out of the comforter that I put her in, mind you. And so in this moment, I have to collect myself, pause, watch, look, because I want to laugh and she's terrified. So I have to calm myself down. I move towards her like the hero I am. I pull the comforter off. Oh, daddy, I was so afraid. And I embrace her in my arms and we talk and we laugh. And eventually she comes to peace and she goes back to sleep and I don't tuck the comforter back in. <laughs> what is that? That is a picture of grace and peace. I wanted to give you God, our Father, moves towards us by his delight for us and his concern for us. He moves in relationship near to us in our moments of crisis and our panic. And what happens when God moves towards us is his peace is what follows. 
the ability to calm down, the ability to maybe even laugh with him, and the ability to go and rest. So today, that is the journey we will be on, to uncover this idea of grace and peace and to leave in a time of rest. Philippians is a letter written by the name, uh, excuse me, written by a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. I told you to turn there a few minutes ago, so I'm hoping that you got there. Paul was once a zealous persecutor of the early church. He met Jesus and his whole life got turned upside down and right side up because that is what Jesus does. He shakes things up. Now, after Paul met Jesus, he became a follower of Jesus. He traveled all over the Roman Empire. He started planting churches and preaching the good news, performing miracles, and teaching people what it looked like to follow Jesus. And then when he was away, he used the technology of the day to write letters to stay in touch with those churches. Philippians is one of those letters. Chapter 1, verse 1 reads this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes things look strange to us because we're reading ancient literature, but if you were a first century um, citizen of Philippi and you were reading this letter, you would notice that he is doing something creative with these first few verses. Right? What Paul is doing is he's taking a very common standard greeting in the day and he's packing it with meaning and purpose and calling the Philippians to something and they would see it coming. Now a standard greeting in the day would look something like this, an identification of the sender, an identification of the person to receive the letter and then just simply the words, greetings. Now we actually have an example of that in the book of Acts. If you read Acts chapter 23 verse 26, it follows that same conventional letter format. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, by the way, if you want to call me His Excellency, I won't complain. <laughs> Governor Felix, greetings. Greetings. The word greetings is Karen in the Greek. Do we have any Karens in the room? I'm so sorry. <laughs> you have just gone through it the last few years. We love you. <laughs> so the standard formula looks something like this. Name to name greetings, right? Sender, recipient, Greetings. Now, Paul's going to do something creative with this. Let's take a look at what he does. Now, the first part, name to name, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Who is Paul and Timothy? Or who are they? Right? Early church leaders, but they have this rap sheet. They've done amazing things, they've accomplished great feats. And yet, what they want the church to know about them is what? That they are servants of Christ Jesus. They start their letter with a posture of humility. That is how they are chosen. That's how they choose to be identified, right? What is a servant of Christ Jesus? Well, the word in the Greek is doulos. And um, Gordon Fee, a theologian, wrote this about the term doulos. A person belonging to another, carrying the connotation of humility and servitude. It was also used to designate servants of God where it carried a sense of distance from and yet dependence upon God and at the same time became a kind of honorific title for those in special service to God. 
Paul says he and Timothy are bound to the service of King Jesus. Spoiler alert, so are we. Verse one, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. To all God's holy people. The word is hagios in the Greek and it can be actually translated saint. There's a thought that there are some saints out there and then there's us normal folk over here. But the New Testament turns this idea completely upside down once again and says, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. You are all of God's holy people. That is who you are. What does that mean? Great question. I'm glad you asked. It means you are called out of something and called to a special purpose. Now, Philippi is a colony of Rome. What does that mean? It means that they are to embody the rules, the regulations, the customs, the celebrations, the virtues, the values of Rome away from the actual city of Rome. They were Rome away from Rome, right? (laughs) That is the idea. Paul later in his letter to the Philippians tells the church that their citizenship is in heaven. Oh, he's brilliant. He's so smart. He's taking this idea of a colony of Rome and he's co-opting it to communicate something deep and true about what it means to be the people of God. If your citizenship is in heaven and not Rome, that means you, church, are a colony of heaven, not a colony of Rome. In other words, you are heaven away from heaven. Your king is not Caesar or any other human king on this planet. Your king is the king of the universe, Jesus. Man, so this greeting is subversive. It's dangerous to the powers that be. And it's powerful. Paul is saying that the church in Philippi is a called out of people, out of this world, set apart for a special purpose. What is that special purpose? To be a colony of heaven in Rome. (laughs) A representation of the kingdom of heaven, not of this world, but not apart from it. Not a secret society pulling away from, but in the midst of the city, you are a colony of heaven. And while it's true of them, Guess what? It is true of us too. Because we all have our Philippi. You are a colony of heaven in Beaverton. You are a colony of heaven in Hillsborough, in Aloha, in Tigard, in Tualatin, in Portland, especially in Portland. You are the holy people of God, called out and set apart for his special purpose. We're uh, 11 minutes in and we haven't even gotten through verse one. So buckle up, right? Together with the overseers and deacons. This message includes everyone. There are no exceptions, right? Leadership does not get a pass from responding to the message of the gospel, from living as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. They do not get to be some separate class, which was common of the day then, And it is common of our day now. And what is different amongst the holy people of God is that is not how it works. 
right? So there's this emphasis on leaders. Now, um, let's talk about leadership for a minute. What does leadership look like in the kingdom of heaven? There's a very simple definition. Jesus made it very clear, and this is what it is. Leadership is service. Leadership is service. There's a story in the New Testament. These two disciples of Jesus want a promotion, right? They want power. They want to rise up the ranks and sit on the right hand and the left hand of King Jesus. And they want this, and they're kind of punks about how they go about getting it. They send their mom to ask for a promotion, not a good call, right? Like, young people, do not send your mom to ask for a promotion for a job. Not a good call, but they do this, and and Jesus is so gracious, he's so patient, he's so kind, but this is how he responds to his disciples vying for promotion and power and position. Um, Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it, their power, over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. One of my favorite lines of Jesus, memorize it please, but not so with you. That is how that works out there, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Gosh, amen, right? Jesus invites us not to pursue promotion and power, but to pursue the service of others. Give yourself for the good of somebody else. Help them achieve. Give that glory to God. Do it in humility and gentleness. Who is a leader? Right, well, here in the text, there's a specific designation to the overseers and the deacons, and those are some church leaders, people that serve in different positions, and there's a specific reason why he's focused on that there. But this principle applies to everyone. These virtues, this character applies to everyone because all of you are leaders. You all carry spheres of influence. Right, some of you are parents, and it is a messy job and you are wiping, you're cleaning up diapers, you're, you're trying to feed your kids, get them, all of those things, right? Those are real. You, in every way, are a leader of your family. Some of you are, you know, you're in a co-working situation. People look to you as their managers. You're a youth sports coach. You're a president of an HOA. You're a business owner, a hairstylist, an auto mechanic, a doctor, a nurse, a dentist, a construction worker. You're an ASB president a captain of your sports team, a chair of the art club, wherever you are, if you opened your eyes, you would realize that you have influence, which means you have the opportunity to be like Jesus and to serve. Now, I wanna talk about just some family business here for just a second. I wanna talk about our church. I wanna talk about this value that Jesus has about leadership. The church for... Thousands of years. Um, One of the hallmarks of who we are has been to serve the least of these. This is one of the reasons why Jesus was always in trouble, by the way, because there was this idea that if he wanted to become something great, he was spending time with all the wrong people. Right? He should have been hobnobbing with the powers that be, but instead he was hanging out with kids. He was hanging out with the outcasts of society instilling dignity and value and worth. 
Children throughout human history have often and unfortunately been the pawn in adults' games, right? Given lip service but never truly valued, seen as a replacement generation, as a workforce or whatever the problem would be. But not so with you. Jesus radically redefines how we see and how we value the next generation. As a church, we are in an interesting place in a lot of different ways, but here's one of them. In the last couple years, through COVID, um, things have changed around here, and people have migrated and changed and moved around, but one of the, probably one of the most significant and challenging things we face is this reality that we now have more children showing up on a week-to-week basis in our children's ministry than we have adults willing to step in and serve them. We have pre-COVID numbers of kids and nowhere near pre-COVID number level of adults investing in their lives. I have a deep conviction in my life that it actually takes a village to raise a child. (laughs) I really believe that. I have four and I need a lot of help. Um, Just last Sunday, my three-year-old came home. She looked at my wife, Fallon, and she said, Mommy, did you know that Jesus died on the cross? Tell me more, Len. Now, of course, we have these conversations at home. But if you're a parent, you know this. Sometimes when you hear this from another person, it's like the light bulb goes off and they've never heard it before. And what happened is someone, I don't even know which of you it was, took the time, sacrificed their life to invest in my family. You have no idea Dang it, how that moment and that sacrifice could change the trajectory of my own daughter's life, of someone else's life. See, it's just the hallmark of the church, and it has been for generation after generation to do that. That's why we brought these high school students up here, right? They are leading the way in mission. We see them, we value them, we pray for them, we pay for it, we support it, right? Because God is doing a work in their life and this is a unique space where we don't just give lip service to that, we actually believe it. So all these photos popped up behind me with some QR codes and today I'm not trying to make some passion plea for you to serve, that would be great. But I am trying to invite you into something, which is would you please pray? Look at the landscape of the next generation. They're facing an uphill battle. Could we roll up our sleeves and be a part of that solution? Now, here's my tangent, and somehow I have to get back into a message now. (laughs) But we were talking about leadership and servitude and what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Let's now talk about grace. If we kind of step back and remember where we were, we were talking about how Paul co-opted an ancient greeting. And this first part, name to name, we just covered that and what leadership looks like. But now let's focus on the next part, greetings. Now, a common um, Greek greeting of the time is the word Karen, right? And he changes the word Karen, greetings, to charis. Why? Instead of saying greetings, Paul says grace to you. Now, charis is an absolute loaded word in the New Testament. The word means grace. And there's this uh, Greek theologian, Spyros Zodahides. 
I probably butchered his name, but he's, he has a fascinating definition of the word charis. Here's what it is. That which causes joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, and acceptance. A favor granted without any expectation of return. It is the absolute free expression of the love of God, finding its only motive in the bounty and the benevolence of the giver. Unearned and unmerited favor. If justice is you getting what you deserve, mercy is you not getting what you deserve, grace is you being given something you don't deserve. That is what unearned and unmerited favor means. You haven't earned forgiveness. You haven't earned the love of God. You've not earned the peace that comes from being made whole by God. And guess what? You can never earn those things, but here is the good news. God hands them to you free as a gift. You just have to receive them. That is what charis is. And when you do joy, pleasure, favor, acceptance, the free expression of the love of God. It is yours and always. And it is from that grace that we live and we move and we have our being. Now, Paul uses the word charis 88 times in his writings, which gives us a glimpse into the breadth of grace and its impact on our lives. Let's go to another one of Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 starting in verse one, and we're gonna see another way that grace impacts us. <clears throat> now, brothers and sisters, I wanna remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. And if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Easter, and he appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and the sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And here's where we land this. This is why we just read what we read. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. Paul says, by the charis of God, I am what I am. That this charis of God was not without effect. It led him to work hard and wholeheartedly. And that he cannot take credit for the hard work and the impact of the charis of God. He said, yet not I, but the charis of God that was in me. See, grace is not just what prompts salvation. By expressing the absolute free love of God, uniting us back to him, giving us unmerited favor to God, but grace is also the creative force that energizes our life. For Paul, grace helped him work hard, serve wholeheartedly. It was the fire that burned inside of him. Not I, but the charis of God. 
What would this look like in our life? By the charis, by the grace of God, I was able to finish the report so I could make my daughter's dance recital. By the grace of God, I was able to build that fence on that weekend so my family had a place to enjoy in the yard together. By the grace of God, I was able to teach that class, even though in the back of the room there were people criticizing me the entire time. Um, by the grace of God, I was able to acquire the company, keep 50 employees from being unemployed. By the grace of God, I was able to hold my patience when my child was clawing for every ounce of it inside of me. By the grace of God, you fill in the blank. See, the grace of God doesn't just begin, doesn't just invite us into this free relationship with God. The grace of God changes us, shapes us, and empowers us. What about peace? Verse two, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have any Irenes in the room? Any Irenes? You've had less of a hard time than Karen, just gonna say. <laughs> um, the Greek word for peace is arene, very close to Irene. If you don't remember anything else today, you can remember Karen and Irene. Go figure. Grace and peace. The word arene means this, the state of harmony that is available to believers through having right relationship with God and others and is especially associated with the presence of the Holy Spirit. In certain contexts, it is seen as the Old Testament concept of shalom. Shalom. Shalom today is still a common greeting in Israel. It's also a pretty darn good restaurant in Portland. Shalom, y'all. You never been? You should go. Check it out. Um, but the idea of shalom is bigger than pita bread and hummus. It's much bigger than a simple hello. The idea of shalom is one of the most important biblical concepts you can ever understand. Now, when we think of peace, we often think of the absence of conflict. And shalom carries that idea, but it carries something so much more. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict, but the very presence of God. With that, shalom carries this idea of wholeness because that is what the presence of God does in our lives, right? What is wholeness? Wholeness is this idea that something that is broken is being put back together again, not replaced, not just go buy a new one, right? It's actually to take that broken thing and diffuse those pieces back together to the way in which the creator designed it to be. That is the idea of the peace of God in our life. It is to bring wholeness, integration from a disintegrated life, to put us back together again. Now, the Bible is actually interested, and by means of the Bible, God is actually interested in more than just you having shalom, personal shalom. He's interested in the whole world being filled with shalom. The entire broken world that we're living in being put back together. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that the world desperately needs shalom. Am I right? But here's one of the truths we know. Is that you, by nature of experiencing shalom... That's the only way you can actually show the world what it looks like. In other words, you can't export shalom to the world unless it has first been imported into your life. 
And who does that? How is it imported into your life? I'm glad you asked. God, (laughs) through his Holy Spirit. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about fruit of the Spirit. And particularly, we talked about patience. One of the ideas of the fruit of the Spirit is that you cannot cultivate it by your effort. You can't white-knuckle Christ-like character and virtue into being. It is directly related to your relationship with God. He is our life source. He is what gives us life and changes us and heals us and makes us whole again. You want to see shalom in the world? I do too. But first you have to have shalom in your own dome and shalom in your own home, okay? Like, you have to experience it first before you can export it to the world around you. Even the word shalom, it's like a single word cipher or a code word that calls back to a time when we were right with God, right? The word peace, this idea pulls us back to the Garden of Eden, but not just there. It points us to a future reality when one day the whole world will be filled with God's peace. There's hundreds of verses throughout the Bible, but I'm going to give you a few. In Habakkuk, the prophet says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The prophet Isaiah said, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And then John the seer in the book of Revelation says, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. God's peace resonant in your life points to a day in which we once were right with God and to a day when we once will be because you are now. And you have a chance to show that to the world. Now I wanna bring three questions to mind as we wrap our time up. Things to think about as we move through our week this week. First is this. What if every greeting mattered What if every greeting mattered? Every interaction with a human being mattered. Every word mattered because people matter. Right, if we thought, we put as much effort into a simple greeting as Paul did, man, how different would the world around us be? Right, if we didn't let these opportunities just fall to the ground without thinking that every interaction with every person is an opportunity to say, you matter to me and you matter to the God who made you. Listen, I know the greeting time in church is awkward, and most of the time I kind of want to sit there and not say anything, right? But sometimes we have to actually practice these things. What if in the next six months we saw the greeting time as an opportunity to say, you matter to me, and God sees you? But not just here. What if we saw that everywhere we went was an opportunity for blessing of grace and peace? Second question. What if we saw ourselves as conduits of grace and peace? Um, construction background, grew up in the world. If you're a construction worker, you know what a conduit is or an engineer or whatever. But simplest term, it is like a pipe that moves energy through it. What if you saw your life as sort of a funnel, a pipe directing grace and peace to a world that desperately needs it? Paul saw himself as the Amazon truck driver of grace and peace. And his job was to deliver it to every single home and person he came by. 
Next time you see the Amazon truck, you think grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace, right? What if you saw yourselves as having that same job and responsibility to pass grace and peace to whomever you come to? Third question, what if we started every letter with grace and peace? What if everything we started was with grace and peace? When you feel like you're so angry that you wanna scream and yet your response is grace and peace. When you have been put to the utter limit of your patience and still your entire being responds with grace and peace. Really, what if our city was known as a people of grace and peace? Like, we're often as Christians known for what we stand against, but not what we stand for. But what if this city knew us as a people who stood for that? So we're gonna end a time in grace and peace. Um, There is uh, a song that our shelter worship team wrote called Rest, and it is about the peace of God. What happens by when God's grace, he moves to you, and the peace of God is resonant in your life. Simultaneously as that happens, um, we're gonna take communion. We're gonna do it a little differently too. Um, I'm not gonna lead or guide you or give specific direction about how or when or reflection on it. We're gonna hand that to you. Um, if you didn't grab communion on your way in, some ushers are coming around, you can grab one or you can yourself stand up and go get it. But I'm gonna invite you to take the elements of communion and as we're singing, um, hear from God and respond. Take the bread, take the cup, and then when we're all done, I'm gonna come back up here and pray a word of blessing over you.
I mentioned earlier, if God stirred something in your heart today to respond, invite someone to Easter, jump in into Alpha, serve our kids. Don't leave today without responding. Also after the service, we're gonna have our elders up front and they're here to pray with you. If you have anything you need prayer for, if you decided to trust the grace of God in your life today, come on up, pray with us. We wanna end our time though in a prayer of blessing over you. It's a benediction. And if you would like to receive it, would you just simply stand with me and open your hands? And I would love to pray this over you. May you be filled with God's grace, with lavish favor from God, unending power of God's presence to flood you and empower you to do whatever it is that God has called you to do. And may you be filled with God's peace, a deep, pervasive sense of well-being with God, with people, with your body, and with creation itself, no matter what the circumstances of your life entail, in great seasons, in hard seasons, in great weeks and hard weeks, may you be filled with God's peace. And may you be a grace and peace people wherever you go and to whomever you encounter. And may you spread the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.